0: This morning, let's return to the book of Nehemiah. We're in chapter 4 of Nehemiah, and we're going to look at the second half of chapter 4 this morning. Last week, we looked at the first half of chapter 4 in verses 1 through 14, and we saw uh, a couple of things. Chapter 4 is all about opposition, and so we saw the opposition that Nehemiah faced as he and the people were rebuilding the wall, and the nature of that opposition first, it was talk. Right, It was words. It was people saying things, condemning, ridiculing, making fun of them. And when that didn't stop them, then the threat of violence was the next step in the opposition to stop the people from rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. And so we looked at the nature of of the opposition, but we also saw Nehemiah's response to that opposition, and that's what we want to pay attention to. We've said from the very beginning, we know opposition is coming when God's people begin to do things for his glory. Opposition will come, the enemy will come, he will use people outside the church, he will use people inside the church to bring opposition to what God is doing, and there are really three things, a nice little Baptist three-point alliteration that we can pull out of what, how Nehemiah responded. So we said that he responded in prayer, first of all, which is Nehemiah's pattern. Every time he faces an obstacle or he's about to make a move, he goes to the Lord in prayer. And we understood what a huge, important part of that um, th- that, that is for us. So he prayed, then there was preparation. He didn't just pray. He didn't just say, Lord, we've got enemies that are coming against us. We're just going to sit here and let you take care of them. He went into preparation. They not only prayed and trusted that God would do what they couldn't. They said, we're going to do everything that we can do. So they prepared and they got ready to fight. And we said that that is also the case for us. But then at the end, and we're going to talk about in depth today, there was prayer, there was preparation, and then there was perseverance the work didn't stop. They didn't let the opposition, they didn't let the adjustments they had to make stop them from continuing what God had told them to do. And so here was the big point from last week I want us to remember and jump off from today. Opposition can be a tool God uses to move his people in a direction they would never go without it. And you remember that. And you know, some of you know that's true in your own life. Because you've been in a place where opposition, God has used it. God uses it. God used opposition in the early church to grow the church. And he will use opposition in our lives for our good and for his glory if we will do those things like Nehemiah did. If we pray, if we, if we seek to be prepared and to be ready and trust God to do what he can do while we do everything that we can do so God used the enemies of Judah to bring about all three of those things in Nehemiah and the people you realize that 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 prayer and that preparation and that perseverance came as a result of the opposition and what we said before I admitted to you last week if there's not sometimes opposition in my life I will be content to just sit right where I am and do nothing. And so God will use opposition in our lives to move us in the direction he wants us to go. So in the second half of of chapter 4, we're going to look even deeper at that last of those three things I mentioned, the perseverance. The fact that they did not let the opposition stop them from doing what they're doing. So we're going to talk about perseverance a little bit this morning. And we're going to see what does the perseverance that we see in Nehemiah and the people look like? And how does that translate into... Our lives. So start with me in verse 15. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 15 says, When our enemies heard that we knew their scheme and that God had frustrated it, every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. Now, there is a whole um, outline for what I just talked about in that one verse. In verse 15. And I want you to see it. It says, when our enemies heard that we knew their scheme, there's the preparation. Nehemiah and the people knew that they were coming, knew what the plan was to come against them, and they got ready. And so Nehemiah and the people said to their enemies, Hey, we know what's up, and we're ready for it. If you come, you come, but we're gonna gonna fight. So when he when the enemies knew their scheme, there's the preparation and they heard that God had frustrated it, there's the prayer. God, you do what only you can do while we do everything that we can do. And so God's work in it, as a result of Nehemiah's prayer, God had frustrated it. So when they saw that we knew their scheme, preparation, God had frustrated it, the result of the prayer Then they, what, returned, everyone returned to his own work on the wall. There's the perseverance. They went back to working. They didn't stop. And all of these things together is what gave them victory over their enemies. The prayer, the preparation, and the perseverance. And so there there was a victory in the fact that what they did and what God did stopped their enemies from advancing. They, the, the, Sanballat, Tobiah, all of the people around them who were trying to stop them, they realized, hey, look, they're ready for this. We can't. We had a plan, but it's totally falling apart now. So we'll, we, they backed off. They retreated. So there's victory in that, right? And there's victory in... Um, in our lives, when maybe something is coming against us, and we, and we see it, and we know that, that we've done all we can do, and then we see God do something that we can't, but he can, and, so the, and, and the immediate threat goes away, that's a victory. But there's a victory that's greater than that victory. In this story, the greater victory in verse 15 is not that the enemies found out that the people were prepared and the greatest victory was not that God frustrated it. The greatest victory is that they kept working. And so here's the first big point I want you to get. The greatest victory is the perseverance that comes after the battle. We can be in the midst of the fight and God comes in, and the fight is won, and we go, wow, that's awesome. But if we don't keep doing what we're supposed to be doing, then have we really won? Even though the battle, that that temporary victory may have been won, if it stops us from accomplishing that greater purpose that God has called us to, then that's a short, small victory. But there's a bigger victory when God, God inter- intervenes, he comes in, he takes care of things, defends us from our enemies, and then we go right back to doing what we're supposed to be doing. Perseverance is the greatest victory in the battle. C.S. Lewis said this, God knows our situation. He will not judge us as if we had no difficulties to overcome. What matters is the sincerity and perseverance of our will to overcome them when we get into battles in our life whether it's personal battles battles for our family battles for the life of our church they can wear us down can't they you ever felt that way you're in the midst of of fighting something and all you want to do is survive that battle and get past it like if we can just figure this out like god if if you can just If you can just work this thing out, I'm I'm, I'm doing all I can do. If you can just bring bring us victory in this one little battle right here, and and sometimes we can use all of our energy to when God does bring victory and that battle's over, we're just exhausted, and we want to just sit, maybe do nothing. It's okay for us to sit and rest when God empowers us to win, but we can't stop. And sometimes that happens. Even in the midst of a victory, we fight and fight and fight, and then, we, and then the Lord brings victory, and we're like, whew. And then we stop, and maybe we stop and sit down and we quit moving because we don't want to go through that again because it was so exhausting. So I'm just going to sit right here. That was rough. Thank you, Lord, for bringing me victory, bringing, getting us through that. That was awesome. But you know what? I'm not interested in going through that again, so I'm just going to sit right here. Nehemiah didn't do that. Nehemiah and the people returned to work. So they persevered. They continued the work after the battle. But then there's something else we're going to read and find out. When they went back to work, they didn't go back to work the same way they did before the battle. Look at verse 16. Let's read through verse 18. It says... From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers supported all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. The laborers who carried the loads worked with one hand and held a weapon with the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist while he was building, and the one who sounded the ram's horn was beside me, So not only did Nehemiah persevere, he said once the, that battle was over, we got right back to work. But Nehemiah learned some things, didn't he? And the people learned some things through that battle and through that struggle. So they made some changes. They didn't do things the same way anymore. That, that very first phrase in verse 16, from that day on, that means that there was a point of change. That from this day forward, our work looked very different than it did before this. Why? Because we've experienced a battle and we've learned from it. God has taught us. So now we're going to move forward and do things different. Why? Because we want to be prepared if this happens again. And so he gives some really specific details. So before, all of the people were pretty much working on the wall. So now because of the threat that's come, God's delivered them from the immediate threat, but he knows this could happen again, so we have to be prepared. So he splits the people in half. And half of the people continue working, rebuilding the wall, while the other half guard and defend the half that are doing the work. And then the half that are working also were divided into two groups. And I like to call them the builders and the brutes okay and that's kind of how i picture when i read it he says that half of them were working with their hand they were rebuilding the wall and they were the ones that had the swords like attached to them now why would they why would they have their sword like on a sheath or whatever attached to them because they're putting the wall together they need both of their hands so both of their hands are at work, but they're ready. they got something to defend themselves with. But then there was the other group of people, the ones I call the brutes. It says that they carried rocks and material with one hand, and they had a weapon in the other hand. So I kind of picture when Nehemiah is kind of dividing and giving assignments now, he's, he's saying, all right, got to adjust. We're going to continue doing what we're doing, but we're going to do it different. So half of you guys, you're going to be stationed to defend everybody, That's your sole job. You guys are going to keep building the wall. Um, But maybe the big, strong guys, the brutes, he's like, you guys are going to carry, you're going to do all the the legwork. You're going to do the heavy lifting. You're going to carry stuff. And I'm thinking those guys probably were pretty strong, especially if they were carrying big size rocks and they're loading those things up with one hand and they've got a sword or something in the other hand. It was probably the strongest of the men, I'm guessing, that were taking care of that. But then there was the other group who was building the wall. So you got half of them that are, that are doing the heavy lifting, moving stuff around. One hand on the rocks, one hand on the weapon. And then you got the other half who have their weapons with them. They're ready if they got to fight, but their both hands are free because they're putting the wall together. So it, it's again this beautiful picture of cooperation that we saw earlier. Where it was in chapter 3 where he talked about the different groups that were side by side. This, the, these people were beside these people. And these people were beside these people. And they were working hand in hand. The people are still working hand in hand. They've just divided their efforts and they're focusing on different things. But the ones who are defending are defending so that the ones who are building can build. And the ones who are carrying the stuff are, are carrying the heavy stuff so that the ones who can't carry the heavy stuff can actually do the putting together and the rebuilding of the wall. You see? It all works together. Nehemiah learned from the opposition, and he made adjustments. And we have to do that. We have to do that in our personal life. When we're attacked, when opposition comes from the enemy or from people, and the Lord gives us victory over it, it's foolish for us to just go back to doing everything the same way we did before. What do we we learn from it? What is it, Lord, that you want to teach me through what's going on? What is it that you want to teach our church because of this opposition that you've, you've given us victory over it, but as we move forward, we always want to be prepared. How can we do things different? And so that's what Nehemiah does with the people. And it says that he designated a person to blow the horn. That was a shofar. It looked like a big ram's horn. And there was one person who had that, and Nehemiah said, that person stayed with me. And we'll 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 talk about that more in just a second. But here's my second big point this morning. Changing our practice strengthens our perseverance. Okay? So you say, well, how can I not get worn down? How can I not become so defeated after battle, after battle, after battle that I just want to quit? Well, you got to change the way you do things. If, if I face a battle against opposition, God gives me victory over it, and then I just go back to saying, okay, we're going to go back and do it exactly the same way we did before. Guess what? That same opposition is probably going to come back again over and over and over. If I don't, if I don't have some sort of defense if I haven't learned something from that experience and then, and then changed the practice of the way I'm doing things, then I'm just as vulnerable to that attack as I was beforehand. And, and of course we rely on the Lord, but there's, there's lessons to be learned through everything, through every temptation, every sin that comes against us. We need to learn how to put ourselves in a place where God can bring us victory and we can defend ourselves and fight against it. If it's true when we win the battle, it sure is true when we lose it. How many of us face a particular temptation in our life and lose to that temptation and then go back to dealing with that temptation the exact same way we did before we lost to it? Nehemiah, changed and adjusted the way he did things and and he was winning what does that say for us that feel like we're losing maybe part of the reason i keep losing the battle with this particular temptation is because i'm not learning from it i'm not making any adjustments i'm not i'm 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 so much relying on god to do everything that only he can do i'm not doing anything that i can do especially when we're defeated Our enemy is going to return. Nehemiah knew that even though we had victory in this one particular instance, those enemies outside of the wall didn't stop hating them. They all of a sudden didn't just decide, well, it's okay with us if you rebuild the wall. That's fine. We changed our mind. No. They they still hated Nehemiah. They still hated what was happening. They still hated to see that wall go up. And Nehemiah knew we, God has given us victory over them now, but they might be back. And when God gives us victory over something, a temptation or an opposition, like we can glory in that and we can celebrate it, but we also need to be learning from it. And we also need to be making adjustments so that when that thing comes back, that we'll be ready for it in a different way, in a new way. For this church... The perseverance that you guys have shown over these past two years has been a challenge, hasn't it? We've had to learn together how to persevere, and it's not been easy. It's been difficult, and part of that perseverance was figuring out how we needed to change the way we do things. And the way we do church from this day forward, like Nehemiah says, probably isn't ever going to look like it did before that, because we've learned things. So we have to make adjustments so that we can be ready for whatever happens next. So what battles are you facing? Just think about your life for a minute. Who are those enemies in your life that have come against you? Maybe God has given you victory in some of those battles, but have you made any changes to strengthen your perseverance? Because if we don't, if we don't make changes to our practice we can withstand one battle but then if we go back to doing it the same old way we're going to face that battle again we go back to doing it the same way we're going to face it again over and over and over and eventually if that's the way we persevere you begin to not rely on God so much and you begin to think this keeps happening I've got to do something to fix it you rely on yourself more than God you eventually wear out and then you just burn out into nothing. Changing our practice will strengthen our perseverance. It's foolish for us to just keep doing it the same way over and over and over. Now, let's keep going. Look at verse 19. Chapter 4, verse 19. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is enormous and spread out, and we are separated far from one another along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the ram's horn, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Exclamation point. So we continued the work. There's perseverance again. While half of the men were holding spears from daybreak until the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, Let everyone and his servant spend the night inside Jerusalem so that they can stand guard by night and work by day. And I, my brothers, my servants, and the men of the guard with me never took off our clothes. Each carried his weapon even when washing. So there's a picture I see here in these verses that is third big point, partnership strengthens our perseverance. Like how do we last for the long haul? How do we continue being faithful and not quitting and not burning out and not giving up? We need people. Um, Nehemiah put a support system in place for the people so that nobody would be faced with opposition by themselves. And he did some specific things. It says in that passage that the people had to work longer hours. It said that they worked not just during the day, but they worked into the night. And he asked the people to spend the night in the city. That was because before, when they were working, the people would go to their homes, which would be outside the city. Many of the people would have lived in towns and villages around the outside of Jerusalem, there in Judah. They would have left their homes every day, come into the city, did the work, and then when it was quitting time, everybody would pack up and they would go back to their homes. And Nehemiah says, look, our our workforce is in half now. Half of us are defending the group, half of us are building. That means if we want to get this thing done, we need all hands on deck. We need to be as efficient as we can with our time and with our resources. So, hey, instead of you guys leaving and going to your homes every night just stay here and then it says that Nehemiah and his men stood with the people and for the people because it says in the end they never took off their clothes that means that even at the end of the day when the day was done and everybody else was settling in staying inside Jerusalem and they were getting ready to rest and they were getting ready to go to bed Nehemiah and his leaders around him didn't Like they weren't putting on their PJs and tucking themselves into bed at night. They stayed fully clothed all the time. Except when they took a bath, of course. But why did they do that? Because at any moment, if a threat came, they would be up and ready to leave. So we see in that the principle, too, that what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that in leadership, you good leaders don't ask the people under them to do stuff that they're not willing to do. We see that in Nehemiah here. That even when the people were resting, he didn't. He rested. He had to have slept, of course. But he didn't, he didn't change clothes. He didn't, um, like take off his armor and things like that and lay down his weapons. He always had his weapons. It even says in verse 23, each carried his weapon even when washing. Because he knew he had to be ready at any moment to lead the people and to defend the people. And the person with the shofar was to blow the horn if there was an attack in a specific part of the city around the wall. Nehemiah knew that he would be, if there was an attack, as soon as he found out he was going to be the first one there and that shofar person was going to be with him and they were going to go to the place where the battle was and they were going to blow that horn. And Nehemiah says, we're all spread out. The work is immense. There's so much to be done and we're all in different places and we've got to have a system because if one person on this part of the wall gets attacked, we are so spread out, we may not know it. Like this group right here may, may be attacked and everybody else just keeps working on their stuff and they're completely oblivious to this. We've got to draw attention to that area. Why? So that these people don't have to fight alone. So when you hear that shofar blow, drop what you're doing and you rally together wherever that horn's blown because that's where the battle is. We need people who will rally to us when our perseverance is attacked. When we come under attack, we need people to rally with us. When I come under attack, when my life and my family come under attack, I need people that I can blow the horn. And when I blow my horn, I know they're going to come. They're going to drop what they're doing, and they're going to come rally to help me so that whatever I'm fighting, I'm not fighting by myself. Because what comes against me and my faith and what will come against you and your faith is always going to be bigger and stronger than you. Don't try to be the hero. Don't think, I don't need any help. This temptation is coming and and, and it's kicking my tail, but you know what? I'm just going to fight it by myself. I'm not going to get anybody else involved because I can do it. No, you probably can't. Because those forces that are coming against you are stronger than you by yourself. So you need people to rally. We need people to rally with each other. That is part of our responsibility for each other in the church. It's to rally with one another and help fight off the opposition and the sin that comes into somebody's life. Not to kick them while they're down. But unfortunately, we get pretty good at that too. We have to find those people in our life and we have to get those people in place before the battle. We we need to know who those people are before we need them to fight with us. And that's what Nehemiah did. He came up with a plan. There wasn't an imminent threat at that point, but he put together a plan and he says, when it does happen... This is how we're going to let you know, and this is what we need you to do. So we have to find those people in our life before we need them because we don't know when the opposition is going to come. We don't know when, I don't know when my next battle is going to be, but when it does come, I know right now there are people in this room right now that are my rally soldiers. If I blow the horn, I know they're coming. The point is, nobody fights alone. That's what Nehemiah was making sure of here. And we got to make sure of that. You need people to rally to you, and there are also people around you who need you to be those rally forces for them. Who are those people? Who are those people in your life? Do you know who those people are? You know who's coming when you blow the horn. And if you don't know who they are, you need to ask God to show them, show them to you. And you need to go have some conversations with people. Say, look, I, I, I need people and I want you to be one of my people. And who are you a, a rallier for? Don't just be the one that's always calling for help. Don't just be the one that's always blowing the horn. Who are you assigned to? Who is that person that when they blow their horn, you're dropping what you're doing and you're going to them. You got to know who those people are too. But you know what else is true? I'm going to say this and you're going to be like, what? Even when we rally together, we're still not strong enough. Even when we all rally together, if we're doing it on our own, We're not strong enough because every force that will come against us, it doesn't matter if it's fighting us or it's fighting a hundred of us. If we're fighting it on our own, it will obliterate us every time. That's why Nehemiah says, when you hear the horn blow, come and rally there. And he doesn't say, we will take care of it or we will fight or we will be victorious. He says, God will fight for us he'll fight he will whatever whatever we win will be because of him not because of us but we're going to do everything we can do all our best effort together is still nothing without the power of the Holy Spirit just know that don't, 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 don't be fooled into thinking oh we can just do it all together no we can't we can all do it together wrong you realize that, right? Well, it, it, We can all do it together right, and we can all do it together wrong. And when we all do it together wrong, it's just as bad as if one of us does it wrong. It doesn't help. It just multiplies the wrong and makes it worse. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've been singing about it all morning. Do you remember the songs you've been singing? We've been singing this point all morning long. Verse 56 in 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be what? Steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There is no verse 58 unless there's a verse 57. You realize that? All of that, verse 58, be steadfast, and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work, that is not there unless verse 57 is there. Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of everything. That's the power that moves everything. Then, because of that, we can have verse 58. We can persevere. We can have strength. We can do everything that we can do. And it will be successful, but it will always be because of him. And so you say, well, how can I know that, Eric? Because it doesn't always feel like that. My life doesn't always feel victorious. How can I know That God will always fight for me. How can I know that God will always defend us? Nehemiah said, when we rally together, the Lord will fight for us. How can I know that? I'm gonna tell you how you can know that. Because He's already done it. (laughs) He's already done it. Like, go back home, like, look up the songs that we've been singing all morning long, that Dan and I didn't even talk about what songs we were singing. Holy Spirit just does that. Go back, listen to all those songs, and then pay attention to this. It's all through it. Some of you, I'll tell you this, maybe even after Sunday school, come back in here for the song service, sing all the songs again, then you can leave. You don't have to listen to me again. Come back in here for the song service, listen to all the songs again, and you will worship differently. Because this is what this is what we've been singing all morning. He will always fight for us because he already has. He won the victory. He fought the greatest battle on the cross. That's it. And he won it and, and he conquered it. Romans chapter 8. Let's read this. This will be the last scripture. Romans chapter 8 verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us... Who is against us? Verse 32, he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will then he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. (laughs) Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. No. in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. My goodness. Perseverance comes from faith. Not faith in ourselves, but faith in the one who has already fought and already won every battle that we will ever face. And more so. And so the question I have for you this morning is, have you put your faith? In the victor, the one who wears the victor's crown, the one who has overcome. Have you put your faith and your trust in him as Lord and Savior? Because the perseverance that we've been talking about isn't possible without him, without that relationship, without his work in our lives to where he does things and and we step back away from it and go, how did that happen? You know what that's like. You endure something, you're you're, you're victorious through something, you make it through something, and you step back and go, how in the world are we still standing? It's because of Jesus. Because he took, he's already fought. He was fighting for you before. He was fighting for us on the cross, and he's fighting for us now. And nobody beats Jesus